Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. Let's go ahead and uh, open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6. And we're going to pick up our series here uh, out of Ephesians and... uh, work through the rest of this uh, chapter here. Uh, we got this one last uh, message here uh, about being spirit-filled. And then we're going to move on into uh, the armor of God and uh, the whole idea of us um, being spiritually prepared. And uh, so I'm going to shoot for hopefully maybe finishing this up, uh, possibly maybe by the end of June sometime, somewhere around there. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where it gets us. So, um, But just to kind of recap uh, what we've been looking at, um, we've been looking at this idea of being spirit-filled. And uh, Paul gives this whole idea of how our, how our spirit filling is supposed to affect our relationships in life. Uh, He talks about uh, submitting one to another in Ephesians uh, 5, uh, 21. He talks about how wives are to be spirit-filled as they submit to their husbands in Ephesians 5, 22. He talks about how the husbands are supposed to be spirit-filled as they love their wives uh, in Ephesians uh, 5, 23, all the way through um, verse number 33. And then he talks about how children are to be spirit-filled as they obey their parents, Ephesians 6, 1. And then he talks about how fathers are supposed to be spirit-filled as they bring up the children in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. And uh, we're going to look at this last one here in uh, verse number 5 all the way through verse number 9. And it's talking about uh, our relationships. Primarily, he talks about the relationship between slave and masters or slave owners. Now, we don't uh, do that necessarily today where we have slaves of our own. um, But the relationship is between uh, employer and employee or boss and employee. Um, Have you ever been at a job that you had a problem with your boss or maybe another employee that you were working with? Um, How did you handle that situation? Was it spirit-filled? If you are a believer in Christ, you are supposed to be spirit-filled and you're supposed to handle these uh, situations in work in a spirit-filled manner. And so when Paul talks here, he's talking about slaves and masters, as we'll uh, look at here. And um, slavery at that time was an accepted institution in the Roman world. Um, It was estimated that between one-third and one-half of the population were slaves. The Bible does talk about slavery, but not as you may think, where you own a plantation, you're sipping sweet tea, and you're singing, uh, you know, zippity doo dah, okay? 
that's not the type of slavery the Bible talks about. Okay, I encourage you to read God's Word, see what slavery is in God's Word, because uh, what the culture, the way the culture, especially American culture, has made slavery uh, is totally against God's Word. God never advocated for that type of slavery. Um, but the Bible does talk about slavery. And uh, in these verses that we're going to look at here, Paul addresses both slaves and masters directly. And he showed them how their faith that they had in Jesus Christ, if they were believers, um, should radically change the way that they related to one another. And so although this is... Speaking to slaves and masters, I believe we can uh, take from it some principles that apply both to employees and employers and uh, how we should treat one another uh, basically in the fear of Christ and by submitting to one another and being filled with the Spirit in our relationships. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Don't be a people pleaser or a people user because of your relationship with Christ. Don't be a people pleaser or a people user because of your relationship with Christ. So let's examine this importance of being spirit-filled uh, in the workplace. So number one, Christ is to be the primary relationship in your life. Let's read the text here together. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is pretty amazing that God deals with this very thoroughly uh, in this text. And if we were to have the right relationships in our workplace, where we work with the employees and employers, if we're to have the right relationships, um, then we should not be a people pleaser. We should not be a people user. And we must remember that Christ is to be the primary relationship in the workplace. I believe sometimes we leave our relationship with Christ at the front door of the job. We walk in and Christ is left there and everything that we do, how we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives is conducted in an entirely different way. But then when we leave, it's like we pick up Jesus back out the door. We say, OK, now I'm going to continue to live my Christian life. That should not be. Notice how Paul says he is to be the primary relationship in our lives here. He drives it home over and over and over with repetition about our relationship with Christ. Look at verse number five. He says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
Look at verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven. So he's emphasizing over and over and over and over the relationship that you have with Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you're an employee, you're an employer, the primary relationship in your life should be Jesus Christ. You can't miss it. And so the Lord is to be the primary fact of life. And Paul is expounding here on what he had said in uh, verse 21 in Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of Christ. Uh, not in the sense that we are um, cowering, but in the sense of showing that you have great respect uh, for the Lord. Um, so every believer should live every day with the focus, I fear Christ. I am no longer my own. I belong to Christ as my Lord. I must do his will. I must live to please him. Because someday I will stand before him and I will receive the reward for my faithful obedience. Christ must be at the center of all that we think and do. And this will really keep us from being a people pleaser or a people user, because if we keep Christ at the center of it all. And really, this is the emphasis of the entire Bible. The first and greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The complete and total package. Everything, all of your whole entire being, you're to be loving the Lord. And that should reflect... Uh, in the workplace as well. The second greatest commandment Jesus said is that we love one another. But the Lord does not necessarily put that command first. He doesn't say love one another first, then love the Lord thy God. He says love God first, primary, then love one another. He does that because it's the foundation of life in everything that we do. How you work how you relate to other people, how you raise your children, how you love your wives, how your wives submit to you. Everything is done with the, the primary foundation of your love for God. It should be primary. So your relationship with Christ is primary. So I must ask, did my schedule last week reflect that Jesus was primary in my life? Did everything that I did at work, reflect Jesus Christ as being primary? If not, then I have not really made him primary in my life, in my schedule of how my work. Did I submit every thought, every decision, every word that I spoke, and every deed to the test? Does this please my Lord Jesus Christ? Did you ever say something when you were talking to somebody, and as you said it, you wished that you had like these magic hands that you could reach out and grab those words, and you're like, oh, uh, uh, and they're coming out. That's why Jesus must be primary 
relationship in my life. You can't begin to have the right perspective towards your job or your boss or your employees until you first get that right, that Jesus is to be primary in our lives. In Colossians, which really parallels Ephesians almost identically, Paul writes in uh, Colossians 3.24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's who you serve. So if you want to be the best employee, the best employer, the manager, the shift leader, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Christ is to be the primary relationship in your life. Because when we don't put Christ first, we end up becoming a people pleaser or a people user. So Christ is to be the primary relationship in our life. Let's look here, number two. This world is not my home. Remember that song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, right? Well, it's true, it should be a reality. Slaves during this time in the Roman world were often treated very terribly. They could be whipped, branded, mutilated, or even killed, as punishment, a slave could be sold so that he was forever separated from his family. Augustus, uh, back in the early Roman Empire, crucified a slave, one of his slaves, who accidentally killed his pet quail. That's how harsh treatment was for these slaves living during this time. Juvenal wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. Again, I must say, the Bible does not advocate for this type of treatment towards slaves. It's against that. So I encourage you, find out what the Bible does say about it. But the point is that when Paul was writing this, there were slaves and masters, and he's writing to them, and Paul was giving instruction how these slaves and were to be treated and how those slaves were to obey their masters. And really, this is radical stuff that he was writing during this time because it's going counterculture of what was going on. In some of the churches that Paul wrote to, there were slaves and there were, there were slave owners in those churches. How do you know that? Well, he speaks directly to slaves and masters here in this passage. But uh, also, have you ever read the book of uh, Philemon? Philemon uh, was a uh, slave owner, and Paul wrote the book to Philemon, um, and he tells him that he met his slave, Onesimus, in prison. And Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul encouraged Onesimus to go back to Philemon and uh, to obey his master. And so this type of stuff was going on. It was happening during that time. So when Paul tells slaves, in effect, be good to your masters... And God is going to reward you, even though they're being branded and mutilated and uh, punished and flogged. Um, there's a lot of people that look at what Paul wrote and they attack him for writing that because you're like, oh, that's just pie in the sky when you die type theology. But really, 
Paul was putting this in perspective, saying, look, this world is not our home. And you need to obey your masters right now. Uh, sometimes people look at a passage like this and say, well, this is horrible that Paul would advocate for slaves who were being so harshly mistreated to be obeying their masters. And uh, we ought to organize a slave uh, protest and slaves unite. Let's rise up for our rights. But um, you've got to really decide, you know, are you going to follow the world's way or are you going to follow God's way? And God's way in all of this was that the slaves would be obedient uh, to their masters. Notice what God says here in uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 5, he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Is not that really putting a temporary uh, idea that this world is not our home? It's earthly. Obey your earthly masters. And you think about even in your own uh, situation where you work, maybe you have a very harsh boss who maybe mistreats you, runs over you, overlooks what you do, um, God says that you need to obey them, even though you're being harshly mistreated because this world is not your home. You're just passing through. It's just a temporary situation. Look at verse number eight, what he writes here. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. The Lord is keeping count. The Lord is keeping accurate records of everything that is happening, even on your job situation. So the world's focus is on the here and now, but God's focus is always and always will be on for eternity. Um, notice again, Paul repeats the phrase twice here. Look at uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 8, and 9. Knowing that... Look, he says it again in verse number nine. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that. And so he's really trying to teach them and emphasize something. Look, God knows what's going on. Knowing that God knows all of these things, this is how you ought to really live and be spirit-filled. So the slave asks, why should I toil day after day in a difficult job that has no financial rewards for me? And this is really an epidemic that we're facing in our society today. We hear things like, I'm just a creature of society, or I'm a slave of the system. This is boring. I don't make enough. I want to do something else. When's recess? When do I get my $15 an hour wage? I oh, hope you want to pay $10 for a hamburger. Um, I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. But notice how Paul answers this. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. So you can take that to the bank. You can say, yes, this is a true statement from the Lord that even if I'm stuck in that job where it just seems like it's day after day toiling and grinding and I'm not being appreciated, God keeps accurate count 
He knows that if you are serving him from the heart, you're doing everything from the heart for the Lord, that you will receive back from the Lord. Then notice how he speaks to the masters, because the master asks, why should I treat my slaves decently and not threaten them? Those no good, lazy bums who aren't working, they don't work hard. And notice how he answers them. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And so do you see the emphasis of how Paul answers both of them? Both of these verses point to eternity, both for the slave and for the master. He says it's all about the eternal perspective. Because of their relationship with Christ, both slave and master should have their focus on laying up rewards in heaven, not on rewards in this life. I believe this is a neglected doctrine in our day because we place so much emphasis on the here and now with the self-help prosperity gospel that's being promoted. It's no wonder why so many believers in Christ are focused on the here and now than rather for eternity. And so if you're not laying, living to lay up treasures in heaven, your focus is really in the wrong place. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about the, these men and, and women that did so many wonderful things for the Lord. And it's this great faith chapter that's revealed to us about how they had faith in God. They were looking ahead of what God was going to do. Um, they died without receiving the promised reward. They were seeking a better country that, it, than, that is a heavenly one. We read about Moses who left the riches and the power of Pharaoh's court and endured ill treatment with the people of God. Why? Because he was looking for the reward. Do you have a boring job? Maybe it's even oppressive. Do you look on each day with dread thinking, what a hassle as you grind through work every single day? Paul says, get the eternal perspective in life. Put your focus on heaven. Because even if your earthly boss doesn't reward you, your heavenly Father will reward you if you have the eternal perspective in mind that I am working, I am serving Christ in my job. But does that mean that your relationship with Christ should be, should put your focus primarily here and now? You ought to be looking ahead, always thinking ahead. This is for Christ. This is for God. This is for the future. I'm laying up eternal rewards. So how do we specifically deal with these work situations that we are in? If we keep these as foundations in our life, this world is not my home. I'm supposed to primarily be living and serving Christ. He is supposed to be the primary relationship in my life. Then it will really help you become the best employee or the employer. It will help you not to be a people pleaser and not a people user. So notice nextly how Paul really deals specifically how you do this. 
So number three, you work for Christ. You do not work primarily for your employer. You work primarily for Jesus Christ, who sees your every motive and action. Even when your earthly boss is not there, Paul gives five qualities here in this passage that should characterize every Christian worker. Notice them. Number one, as a Christian, you should be obedient to your employer. Notice how far this extends. Look what he says here in verse five. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. He tells us to obey from the heart. But then, look what he says in verse 6. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, he mentions heart twice. That's kind of odd, isn't it? He says, obey from the heart, but then do the will of God from the heart. Well, it's interesting that word heart there is actually the word soul. So he tells us to do it from the heart, to do it from the soul. But then in verse 7, he says, rendering service with a good will. This is the word for the mind. Remember what Jesus told us? To love your Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And so when you work, when you show up for work, when you do things for work, you ought to be doing everything, serving Christ with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind, the complete and total package. So in other words, it's to be a total person thing, not a half-hearted obedience now, I do believe there are times when a Christian employee must refuse to obey an employer. Uh, for example, if he asks you to lie for him or if he asks you to uh, lie or juggle the books, fudge the numbers a little bit, uh, you should not do that. You should stand up and you should um, do what's right. But sometimes those situations are rare. Um, your normal mode of operation should to be obey your boss. Secondly, as a Christian, you should do what is right because God is watching. Notice what he says here. Verse number five. Paul says to obey with fear and trembling. So this is not cowering before your boss. But Paul uses this expression frequently uh, with the idea of fearing that you will misrepresent the Lord in what you are doing, how you are behaving, how you are acting, uh, not doing your job very well. You know, if you would not do shoddy work for Christ, then you should not do shoddy work for your employer. Because if you were to be doing it as unto the Lord, it should really emphasize all of that. Thirdly, as a Christian, work giving your all. Paul says here to be obedient with a sincere heart. Verse number five, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Sincerity is often used to refer to generosity and Christian giving, but it means to be singleness of focus. Uh, it means that you give it your all. 
with undivided attention and effort. You don't waste your time on the job. Fourthly, as a Christian, don't be a people pleaser in your work. Look, verse number six. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, you don't just work hard when your boss is looking or when he shows up around the side. You should be working hard all the time. You shouldn't be slacking off when he's not around. Uh, there was a summer there that I worked with my dad. My dad was running uh, job sites, construction job sites, and we were, uh, I was in high school during that time, and I think I was probably a freshman in high school. And he said, do you want to come work with me during the summer? Yes. He says, okay, well, we're going to work four tens, meaning we work 10-hour days, four days a week, because we were working out of town. We would get up early in the morning, Sunday morning, and we would drive from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Guyana, New Mexico. If you don't know what Guyana means, it means chicken. So we chicken New Mexico. So we'd drive to chicken New Mexico. We'd leave probably about four, somewhere around there, because work started at 7.30. We'd get there, we'd start work. And uh, we were working those 10-hour days. Well, I wasn't used to working 10-hour days. So here I am, probably 14, 15 years old, and I was hired to do labor, uh, push a broom, sweep out rooms. We were building a high school, and um, we were doing this, and I remember it was probably around like 2 o'clock, and oh man, my feet walking around on that hard concrete really started to hurt. And I started to sit down, and just as I was about ready to sit down, here comes my dad. What are you doing? So we ought to be working all the time hard, not with eye service as people pleasers. So it's very important that we do that because it's a good testimony of Christ, of how you work, the way you work. It should be pointing people to Christ. Um, it should be genuine. Number five, as a Christian, you should joyfully serve Christ from the heart while at work. Notice that Paul says to obey from the heart in verse 5, from the soul, verse number 6, from the mind, verse number 7, that goodwill. So this employs having an enthusiastic, positive, cheerful spirit on the job. It's easy to fall in with the other employers that complain about the boss or the low pay or the poor working conditions or the lousy benefits. But Paul says we're supposed to do it with cheerfulness. We're to be serving and obeying from the heart. Now remember who Paul was writing to. He wasn't writing to necessarily the kid that was working at McDonald's. He was writing to slaves. He was writing to slaves to whom these slaves didn't have any rights. They didn't have any benefits, any time off. Any pay beyond room and board. And so if they messed up, they could be beaten or even worse. If they did well, there were no raises or promotions. There was no, attaboy, good job. And yet Paul tells them to be obedient in the sincerity of their hearts. Doing the will of God from the soul and rendering service with goodwill, with zeal, with eagerness, wholeheartedness. Why were they to be doing this? 
because they were doing it for the Lord, not for their masters. Christians should be the best employees on the job because we are to be doing it for the Lord, not for our masters. So what about the employers or the masters? Paul gives us two things about being the right kind of employer. Number one, a Christian employer should treat his employees the way he would want to be treated. Look at verses 8 and 9. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. That's actually a very scary statement to think about. That God is not partial. He will render judgment for everybody the same. Secondly, a Christian employer should not threaten. This would also have been a very shocking command in, in Paul's day because Paul is not saying that a master could not give a proper warning to a disobedient or lazy slave. Rather, he means that he is to treat him with respect, not demeaning him or threatening him with terrifying punishment. That was really radical for Paul to say that, to say, stop your threatening them. And so if you are in a position where you are over people or you might have your own business or whatever the case may be, God's word to you is don't use threatenings to your employees. You ought to treat them as you would want to be treated. So as a believer of Jesus Christ, if you are an employee or an employer, you have an, an opportunity to point people back to Jesus Christ on how you are spirit-filled on the job and how you react with those that are on the job as well. Your attitude, your performance, they all testify to your Savior. And you know, your attitudes and your performance may be the only Bible that people may ever read. And so let them see how diligent you are. Let them see how, how you work well, how you treat others. Let them point back to Christ, that you're not just like everybody else. So even if you are never rewarded in this life, your master in heaven will reward you throughout eternity because he's keeping watch. He's keeping an accurate account of everything. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have to say in here about how we are to work and how we are to interact with those who are over us or even those that are under us. And Lord, I pray that you help all of us to be spirit-filled believers. Help us to put into action what your word says and to live out these principles and these truths about being spirit-filled and not treating others horribly. Help us to serve with a sincere heart, an obedient heart, a full heart, uh, our whole being, because we know that we are to be working for you. Please help us keep our minds and our hearts on the eternal perspective. One day all of this is going to pass away. 
There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. We're going to dwell with you for all of eternity. There will be no time. And this is just a temporary situation. And help us to remember that. Thank you so much for your love and your kindness towards us. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.